Welcome to planttherapy.live. We are back with you all again for another week. My name is Ray. And I'm Pache. And we're back again for some more uh, great conversation. And we do this live every week. Um, I don't know about you, Pache, but I'm pretty happy we are live streaming on YouTube and Twitch uh, to anybody that wants to listen in real time. And we always post our recordings on Spotify and iHeartRadio. Just go to our website, www.planttherapy.live, anytime for the links. So we've been talking about products and uh, our experiences with them. And just a reminder to anybody that may be listening, we are not sponsored in any way by any company. So we always try to keep it real at planttherapy.live. And Pache, it looks like we are finally getting some traction. Good news, good news. Yeah, uh, lots of website visits. They're on the uptick. Uh, we've got listeners popping up across all platforms across four different countries. So that's kind of exciting. And uh, That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. I have to admit. Yeah, you know, and we haven't done much in the way of uh, advertising just yet because, you know, we're just trying to get a little bit of a database together. So by the time people do come uh, to, to listen, there's something here for everybody. Uh, I'm having lots of fun. What about you? Yeah, man, for the most part, uh, although I ran into uh, some issues in the past week. Um, so I was telling you about this uh, the other day. <clears throat> uh, I was going in and I was doing some low-stress training, and didn't I friggin' well snap one of my branches? Oh. And, oh, man, it was... It, we need a, an audio effect for... Oh. Yeah, we don't have one, not yet, but that, yeah, we need a groaner. It was that feeling, though. I uh, I saw it, and I'm like, wait a minute. I didn't do that side yet. And I looked, and it was still attached. Mm-hmm. And so I triaged it immediately. I got it propped up. I got it back in its original position. Um, but, man, it, uh, it just, you know, I, I watered it the day before. Everything was really rigid. Um so these are the things that I'm learning. You know, I, I sort of remember this from my first two grows, but I really remember it now. And you always remember so the negative, I guess. What's, what stem was it that you broke? So I topped uh, the plant at the fourth node. And so the auxiliary buds shoot out the side, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, let me see if I can find a, a photo of of this. So anytime I've been in a situation where I've broken you know especially in this uh, at this time because you're in a key you're in a key spot right because you're trying to set the foundation for mainlining uh and losing one of these at this point can be uh really affect you on on the other end um you know one thing i've always tried to do was uh always have some uh, plastic straws on hand um the bigger circumference the better that way, if you ever get into a situation like that, you can actually take a, a length of the straw and cut it up the side, and then you can place it around the stem where uh, where, where the break occurred. And a lot of the time, that's enough to, to you know, for, for it to kind of reconnect and, and continue to grow. Well, if now this isn't the the plant here, I uh, once I download the new photos, I'll uh, I'll show. But so the stem comes up, I topped it, which means these two are the new stems, mm-hmm. the new mains. Mm-hmm. So the break would have happened right about here. Mm-hmm. So even if it means pulling a pulling a fan leaf off, you know, I'd clean that area up and then I'd use a length of straw and I'd put it around. That's a lot of the time that that's enough and it, it'll be like it never happened in a couple of days time. Then a week later you yeah. can remove the straw. That's exactly what I'm. I'm hoping mm-hmm. happens. So I'm just. Uh, I and what happened there was I turned the fan off, and because I didn't want a whole lot of air movement, because um, I didn't want to jostle that that mm-hmm. wing or that broken right. uh, that broken branch. Yeah. And the next day, uh, I came in and I you know I got the fan back going on, and I'm just checking the break, and 
and I'm in there close, and I'm looking, and uh, and don't I see a little critter crawling across on a web? <laughs> and I thought, oh, a spider mite? No. And so, you know, I uh, immediately go around, and I'm searching everywhere under all the leaves, under everything, on top of everything. Um, you know, I found uh, a couple fungus gnats, you know, hiding under leaves and being sneaky, of course. Um, and so I ended up finding what I think are probably four or five um, spider mites. Like, these are so tiny. Like, they are, uh, you know, a fifth of a gnat mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like, these are really tiny. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw another one on a web or, like, a line um not even like a full web, but just like one of its web lines. The beginning, and um, yeah, it, it, it feels like I'm just—I was just catching it at the beginning. Well, see, and, and so, I, if I can pause you there for one second, right? Because sure. what's actually happening here is something that's really rare, right? Because a lot of the time, when somebody says, "Hey, I have spider mites," it's way too late because it's already gotten way mm. out of control, and you know that they haven't paid attention and they're not in tune with the crop. Uh, and, and usually causes that. Um, what's happening here is you've literally caught the first ones to, by the sounds of what, I, what I'm hearing. Because usually, like I said, with infestations, that's what they are. And it's hard to, to, to get control back. But being in tune and checking your plants every single day uh, and being meticulous, you know, that's what it's all about. So go ahead. Um, but I do feel I'm getting the vibe right away that, that you may have caught something just on the brink of starting to happen and i think uh, moving forward you should be able to um you know kind of get things back on track i think you're right um and so i uh i, I sprayed it down um, my wife had some insecticide um spray and it was the kind that was appropriate for my plant like i could kill it and it would attack the spider mites and aphids as well mm-hmm. Um, so I sprayed the underside and on top of the leaves everywhere. Um, I really gave it a good spraying down. And I haven't seen any sign of spider mites since then, and that's been a few days. Um, the aphids don't seem to be too bad right about now, right now either. And, oh, I also uh, I got everything out of my uh, 3x3 tent, and I put everything into my 5x5. It's a little early. But I just wanted to change environments. Uh, I knew I was bringing everything into a clean room, like a clean tent. Um, And so I was just trying to really do everything to stack the odds in my favor. Mm -hmm. Um, So you you mentioned last week that you actually got your neem oil? I do have my neem oil, and I was planning on using it. um, But this all happened, and it didn't seem uh, on my quick research that the neem oil was a go-to for spider mites. Not not, not to kill them when you get them, but to prevent them yeah. in the beginning. Okay. Because they don't uh, so like it. I, right. So I went with something a little more aggressive because I thought I had them. Um, and I don't think I have them now, so my next application is going to be a neem oil application. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so and it's funny because I've been going in really, uh, every few hours I've been going in and checking, you know, is there anything any pests that are bothering my plants at this point um and so yesterday i noticed uh, a little bit of some burning around the edges and so i wasn't sure really what this is but i what i believe it looks like is uh, either a calcium or magnesium deficiency so i feel like i'm just starting to get something like that uh, happening so and I just started introducing my plants to CalMag. Um, so this next watering that's coming up in another day or two, it's going to be have a nice full dose of CalMag, um, and I think that's I think I'm just because I'm paying attention, you know, every few hours, I was able to catch this other deficiency that just happened to be have you know occurring around the same time as I'd be um, I'd be curious the spider mite thing. I'd, just a question that pops into my head that we'll have to kind of look at maybe uh, sure. a, a future episode. Um, cutting the plant down to the four, what is it the f- down four nodes or to the fourth node? To the, yeah, so I cut down to the fourth. So node. So during that process, I wonder if um, removing that much of the plant triggers the plant to need more calcium and magnesium because I know the growth that happens after that, um, you know, is, is quite substantial. 
I never thought of that. So, yeah, because in my mind what happens is when I take the top off that plant, it sends these, uh, now, I don't know if it's enzymes or hormones or uh, whatever, but it sends signals down to the roots to expand Mm -hmm. quickly. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we need to survive, folks, so let's get going here. And it spreads the roots and wide and far as it can Mm -hmm. in an effort to survive. Um, and, And so that's a good thing. Um, and, and so you're right. It may need more um, than what it's than what the medium is providing. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I'm going to be stepping it up with my CalMag application uh, in a day or two, and so we'll see how it goes next week. But I I feel like I'm paying attention to everything, and things aren't going really unnoticed. Uh, and I'm catching. I feel like I'm catching things early, so uh, I think that's what's happening here too. Okay. So, and one last question. Uh, I, I mm-hmm. do have specifically right now with regards to your SF four thousand and the plants at the stage they're in. What do you have your uh, your light hung, and what's your intensity? So right now my light is about twenty eight to thirty inches uh, above the canopy. Mm-hmm. And my intensity is about thirty-five percent, I would say. Okay, all right. Just, uh, just yeah. And, and uh, so ordinarily, I think what I would be doing is I'd be looking at having a little bit more of intensity, and I think they could handle the higher intensity. But I want them because I want them to grow a lot right now. I want them to do a little bit of stretching. So I, I've got it up. I, I may even raise it up another inch or two. Um, just until I get the next topping, mm-hmm. and uh, and then we'll see how things look. Awesome, yeah, because you're going to be uh, low stress training as the new growth comes in. Um, exactly, you know. And, and again, we're going to really get into mainlining in depth as well. I think uh, what I did the other, uh, what I did yesterday uh, with mine it was the start of mainlining because I went down as well. Um, did pretty much the same thing as you so um we'll talk more about that moving forward but tonight's exciting uh because you know we've really uh lightly covered you know equipment up until this point and kind of how the equipment works together and we've talked about uh environment we're just kind of laying the foundation for anybody that may be really new to growing uh or somebody that's uh, on the market to start purchasing equipment for the first time um but as we get these uh, episodes done you know there's going to be a turning point that happens uh with what we do on a weekly basis and that's going to involve um bringing in special guests that are doing special things with uh, cannabis on future episodes um and we're going to bring in home growers just like you and i uh and pache and um you know the doors are going to open up for all kinds of new topics uh and um you know moving forward we should really uh, have something for everybody um so more to come but uh i had a very good week myself um today starts the uh six week explosion for me so i'm super oh, excited yeah. about that yes yes thank you everybody <laughs> it's it's the you know, it's the best seven days, um, you know, for, for me is uh, is the seven days. Um, so excited to see what's going to happen with this mint chocolate chip because it's already uh, having a hard time uh, standing up. So what were you going to say there? So t- what what happens, because uh, I remember you talking about the, uh, the six-week explosion during my first grow and... I, you know, listen. Never heard that with the numbers you pulled off, you, your whole thing was an explosion. So you know, <laughs> I, I get the fact that you didn't notice the intensity of the six-week explosion because you had intensity in two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, seven weeks, and eight weeks. Your big show off. So anyway, um, but yeah, for the rest of us uh, regular folk that aren't pulling in several pounds uh, in in a tent like that per run, um, you know, for us regular folk, uh, you know, it's been. Uh, uh, not <laughs> not as easy to do. Uh, I want to get little capes for my buds, <laughs> Superman capes. Yeah. So um, for me, you know, traditionally, I, I do see the biggest growth, the biggest density, uh, the biggest weight of the flowers, you know, a- a- occur around the six-week mark, so. Um, and that's when they get like nice and juicy and fat. Yeah, exactly. You know, really like plump up. Yeah, really lush and and swollen. You know, the calyxes get swollen. They're getting really resinous now. You know, there's a, a mm. really really uh, potent aroma 
you know, when I uh, unzip the tent. Um, although with the carbon filter set up and having the humidity in check, you would never know it um, until you open the tent, right? Because there's literally no smell whatsoever, which is fantastic. Um, but we'll see. Uh, it just excited for this mint chocolate chip, and we're just going to keep pounding away at that. And a uh, few weeks left, so we'll get into that. Uh, there'll be more to come for sure. But tonight, you know, we really wanted to um, start to talk about, you know, equipment aside now, um, kind of talk about w what we're going to, you know, really program this equipment to do during the life cycles of the, uh, of the grow, acknowledge that there's several different, you know, um, gr uh, stages to growth. Uh, and kind of talk about uh, what type of, uh, you know, temperatures we should be shooting for, um, light cycles, how to manage those light cycles, um, you know, some points about harvesting, the type of equipment that you'll need to do a nice clean harvest, uh, and then how to kind of reset your grow and calibrate your equipment so you can be successful again as you move forward. So that's kind of the uh, the point of tonight's episode. So Let's go ahead and dive right in because we do have quite a few things to talk about. Um, now, Pache, I'm a clone person through and through. Uh, I know you're really been doing the seedling thing uh, right now. So I think, you know, you should probably take that one and just kind of let everybody know what you're doing for seeds there. And, um, you know, absolutely. And I'm, I'm, I'm really am interested in uh, trying to clone Um but from what I understand, the technique that I use, the main landing technique, it's just more favorable for seeds. Um, I think in just like building a house, right? You want to have a nice, sturdy, stable base, and uh, and the seeds have a, get that root mass going um, in order to support what's about to happen. Um, so yeah, I uh, the vegetative growth. So plants grow into two phases um, the first phase is the vegetative phase the second phase is the flowering phase um, so in my mind the veg is all about laying the foundation uh, for the flower and so the way I do it of course is I do it um, a little bit differently and I mainline and I top right away after, after about four or five nodes and then we look at what kind of cycles? Now, Ray, you have used 24 hours a day light before. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was just, um, I, I was curious to know what type of uh, environment you were setting your seedlings up with. For, oh, for the seedlings? Yeah. Uh, so when I get them going, hang on, let me bring up my, uh, my journal. Um, so... Just because with my seedlings, I don't pop a lot of seeds. I I, I tend to try to get clones and, and and go from there. So I just wanted to kind of get your perspective because I know you've done it for the white widow you first grew. Now you've changed over to the uh, purple kush that you're uh, growing now. So yeah, I've got it down to uh, a pretty good system. So I uh, I drop my seeds into a cup of water here. Mm -hmm. Um. And I put it in a nice, warm, dark spot. Is that distilled water? Uh, actually, this is just tap water. Okay. Uh, it's one of the only times in the entire life cycle that I use tap water. Um, everything is reverse osmosis. Okay. Um, so I usually drop this in. The expectation I have is 24 hours. But lately, I don't know why, it has been 18 hours and 12 hours. And what I do is I just sort of tap them. And if they sink to the bottom, then I move them into pa the paper towel. And so I just have a, a, a plate with a paper towel uh, folded up on top. And I just dump the sort of shot glass onto the paper towel. Uh, the water sort of spreads out all across the, um, and is absorbed by the paper towel. And then you're left with just the seeds. And I fold them over and I put them in a Ziploc bag and I sort of, close the Ziploc bag 90% of the way, and then I sort of blow hot air into the Ziploc bag, and then I close it up. And I leave that in the dark uh, for a day. Mm -hmm. And when I check it after a day, there's always been taproot showing. 
Um, they're, and I feel like I'm very lucky. It shouldn't be going that fast. Have you gotten 100% um, germination up until this point? Yes. Okay. And then yeah. from there, are you like controlling the humidity and, and stuff when they first start to sprout? Or are you just kind of using the same parameters you use for vegetative growth? So I, I'm still, I use the just blowing into a big Ziploc bag and I keep everything super moist. It's like a, a tropical rainforest that just pissed itself. Um, <laughs> so it's, <laughs> uh, it's really super, super damp. Um, it's super hot. Uh, and I've got it sort of in my furnace room, so it's just always warm in there. Like, you know, it's always probably around 80 degrees in there. Right, but after, um, after you plant them. Oh, so once they, yeah, once I have the, the tap root, then I, uh, they go into a solo cup. And so I put my, sort of my soil and then a layer of root crack, which is the, what's it called, Ray? The my, mitochondria, did you know what it's called? Yeah, it's like, uh, a, it's not mitochondria. It's, um, it's just a rooting hormone. Yeah. Mycorrhiza. Mycorrhiza, that's it, yeah. Uh, I call it root crack. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I do layers. I do like a layer of soil, a layer of root crack, layer of soil, layer of root crack. Um, and then, uh, once I get the soil up to almost the top level, I take a, like a little golf tee and I make a little hole in the middle with the golf tee. Um, and then I drop my, well, actually as I'm going up those layers, I'll also throw a little bit of a spray of water just to have the, the, uh, medium moist, mm-hmm. but not too much. Yeah. Um, and then once the seed goes in, I just lightly cover it um, with just a little bit of soil or what medium that you're using, and then uh, and then it it goes into the dome, the propagation dome, which is you know high humidity, um, you know warm, nice and warm, and uh, yeah, and so I usually leave it there. And in the dark until the next day, which is usually when you can see the um, the seeds sprouting and poking through the uh, the soil, and then that's when the light comes on and it's going to start turning yellow soon. So it's going to be looking for those photons. And what do you have your uh, what do you have your light? Are you using the uh, Mars Hydro at that point for the seedlings, or are you using? the uh, sf4000 i'm just curious and because if anybody else is using it i'm just want to share what you have your like heights and light intensities uh it set at that what's working for you during seedling phase so my first grow i used the sf4000 and that was intense that was you know i, I felt like uh, a wrecking ball to put up a, a picture on the on the wall um next i used the Maris Hydro, and that was a lot better. And now, luckily, they have the, the dim down option. Um, but this time, I tried these types of strips, and um, these light strips that I found on Amazon, and they really worked quite well. They they were low in power. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were only probably I don't know forty watts, um, but they were white lights, and they were full spectrum. And it was, it was good. I uh, I was able to put them nice and close, and I've got really good results this time around. I'm very pleased. Nice. Now my, myself, uh, uh, you know, like I said, I always try to find something from a run that's worth keeping and, and worth taking several cuttings uh, from something that I've had success with uh, and just try to get to know it a little bit better, right? Um, put the things that you've learned the first grow or the second grow in, into the next grows uh, and, and really try to push it. So I'm always looking for things with potential, um, you know, which is this mint chocolate chip I'm exploring with now. But for me, it's always cuttings. Um, you know, I'm using the uh, rock wall cubes. I soak them in uh, 5.5 pH water for about an hour first and uh, you know just shake all the excess water off and uh, take my cuttings I use uh, a powdered rooting hormone Um, I don't really use a utility knife like I'll cut it at a 45 degree angle when I take the cutting but I'll always Mm -hmm. I'll always take the um, the fan leaf and the node above it, and I'll 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 put my fingers on that, and I can pull it down in a way where I pull the lining of the stock of the plant 
off when it comes down so I don't have to actually take the time to cut the um, scrape away any of the skin you know where, where you want to get the, the the roots to start growing so um, myself honestly I put uh, I usually cut twice as many cuttings as I need and then uh, the, the ones that uh, are the most vigorous after a week I, I keep those and the rest are destroyed um, but that keeps me you know going and keeps costs uh, low and uh, as soon as those uh, those cuttings are rooted we can go ahead and get them transplanted uh, into our systems and, and really start vegetative growth um, you know, there's a couple of different light cycles people use, right? I'm a big fan of 24 seven, always have been, um, just, it's, you know, real easy. You can pop in at any time. Um, the plants just take what they need, uh, and anything ad additional they don't use anyway. So really doesn't cause any type of problem. Uh, if you're growing auto flowers, uh, you know, a lot of the time they do recommend, uh, 24 seven, uh, at least for some strains. But um, what were you using, Pache, 24-7 or? No, I, uh, I am going to probably stick with 18 and 6. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I, I've talked to a lot of athletes. Uh, I've talked to one Olympic athlete, and, and they all talk about um, cycles, and in order to perform at their best, they need to have downtime afterwards. And I feel like the plant, as a living entity, mm -hmm. uh, it needs downtime. Now, I don't know anything scientific, so that is just my gut feeling. So it's not worth anything. Um, but I also saw a doctor, um, a scientist on YouTube, so take that with a grain of salt as well. Um, but she was saying that the plants do need, not necessarily the plants, but the, um, maybe it was the microbes in the soil, um, but it, the, it needs the downtime of, uh, of the lights out. And so I, I really wish that there was a lot more science well, we're, we're, sort of backing up. This is a great, you know, every, every time we do an episode, little great episodes pop up, right, ideas. And th this is something that we can fully explore. Um, I'm just going from memory, but, uh, you know, a, a few years back when I touched on some of these topics, um, as I understand it, and I'll have to refresh myself, um, you know, for, for, for another episode, but as I understand it, the stomata... For a deep dive. Yeah, the stomata on the leaf surfaces uh do close after a period of time so it doesn't matter what the light status is in the room it doesn't mm -hmm. it doesn't really cause any any um any issue um but that's something that we're going to deep dive into um moving forward but i was just kind of curious to know if you went 18 and 6 or, or not um what i always liked about 24 7 was just it could really help you maintain a steady environment um you know that was mm. that was one of the benefits to it consistency yeah, it was pretty consistent you didn't there wasn't a lot of major tweaks that had to take place to keep it stable but one thing i like about mm -hmm. 18 and 6 of course is you get to save power right um and yeah 25 power and you can use it to your advantage right to um you know against the forces of mother nature right you can set your your lights to turn off during the hottest hours of the day um that'll help you reduce cooling costs you know so the, it, it can kind of all tie together uh, a little bit and um if if you're in a situation where it gets too cold at, at some time or it gets too hot at another time you can tweak these um to your advantage so um, most important thing is whatever you choose just be consistent right um, you can take a power outage here and there. You can take a day and a half, you know, um, stuff like that kind of happens. I've had it happen to me and I've never really had any knock on wood, had any, uh, issues due to like power failures temporarily or anything like that. Um, I've also been in situations, you know, where you get a shift change at work and your hours are different now and you, you're not lined up with when, mm -hmm. the, with when the lights are on in your tents. Um, so you can, you know, change it a half hour each day for a week or something like that. Right. I've done that before. I've also just made the full change the very next day and both systems whether you whether you kind of layered yourself into the change or just made made the change and just went on with your life the next day um, I've had both of those situations work so um, but I wouldn't toy with that too much you know pick 
pick what you pick what you need get it planned out and then be consistent with that um, having the ability maybe once or twice to make an adjustment if need be um, now I've got a, a question for our listeners um, if anybody out there has any experience with using something beyond other than a 24-hour um, clock so maybe somebody's doing you know 24 hours on and two hours off so they're using maybe a 26 hour day um so if anybody's ever experimented with anything like that uh send us a message or drop us a line or drop a comment and uh we'd love to hear from you i'm just interested in that sort of thing yeah i mean uh you can send it to us directly at uh, planttherapy.live or if you join our facebook group plant therapy live you can post it there and we can open up the conversation uh for others as well so a great idea there um the other thing i wanted to kind of talk about with vegetative growth right is you know you kind of made it through your seedling stage things are starting to take off you're you're doing some training you're getting some weeks in you're developing a root system um but you know you're totally in control right of of when you want to go into flowering Mm -hmm. just by adjusting your your light cycle um so you know, but when and that's one of the things that I loved about the um, the photo period type because you know it's either photo period or auto flower, and um, that's what I loved about the photo period is it, if I frig something up, I and I need to have time to recover. I like that forgiveness. Absolutely, one hundred percent. With regards to you know environment during vegetative growth, you're pretty much going to want to keep. Um, your environment dialed into about 55 to 60 percent uh, relative humidity uh, 20 to 24 degrees celsius which would be about 68 fahrenheit to 76 fahrenheit would be your optimum ranges um, this is why we speak very highly of controllers because you can put these sensors in your tent and connect these devices and set your parameters as we're talking about now uh, and these devices will computer control your environment to make sure everything stays within range um, you know the other thing as well you can use co2 um, during vegetative growth it will work um, the outside air has about 400 ppm of uh, co2 so there's another way to look at that if you're moving a lot of air through your tent or through your grow room um, you know if your air is changed if the air in the room is changing quite frequently and you're constantly replenishing that 400 ppm you can really make that work to your advantage Um, but people that run a closed system generally use about 800 to 1200 uh, ppm in vegetative growth but a lot of growers won't use them uh, during vegetative growth because it, it it can increase your costs especially if you're using a tank um, you know, and uh, and a controller and and a sensor that way. So um, people with generators, the you know, hook them to a propane tank, and th- they can burn for quite some time and generate a good amount of CO two. Um, those are the growers that are using them during uh, vegetative growth. But most people do use them uh, after the second week of flowering. That's when they get really serious about it. Um, I think twelve hundred ppm is pretty much close to the max of what a cannabis plant can actually use um but i've i've heard of growers going as high as 1500 ppm so maybe they know something we don't know or maybe it's a waste um maybe another and also if you're going to be going that high with your co2 um you can't just change one variable up like that Mm -hmm. and like you'd need to increase you know the temperature make sure they're yeah exactly temperature needs to go up uh, that means that the plant is going to be going through more water. Um, there's going to be a lot more transpiration happening. Um, like everything needs to start dialed up as well. Mm-hmm. Now you know, so you've got uh, pretty much a vegetative growth. You know, down on uh, on lockdown now. Uh, you know, you get some weeks in. The plants are are growing at a at a healthy at a healthy uh, pace, and of course, it gets time for flowering, um, and that's an exciting time, right? Um, it's easy. A lot of people, uh, I read a lot of things online about people using like a, a 24 hour, um, period before they go into flowering. I've tried, mm-hmm. I've tried it. Um, I, I never really noticed a difference. You know, there's lots of pe- things people say, maybe it, it works differently with different genetics. Um, I do a 48 hour, uh, darkness at the end of my veg stage right and i this is something that we'll talk about in depth we'll have a whole episode to to you know um 
unorthodox uh, light cycles and and things to do with the light because uh, there are lots of things um, online with regards to people uh, trying this stuff but some of the basic things um, didn't necessarily I didn't notice a huge uh, change by giving 24 hours of darkness prior to initiating uh, flowering period you'll usually find right um, if you get a good four or five weeks in and and you've done well through vegetative growth a lot of the time the mm-hmm. plant will show uh its pistols prior to it'll show its sex prior to even going into flowering right that a lot of the time if you've done all the right things the plant will express itself during vegetative growth uh and then you know um when you put them into flowering it happens a lot quicker because they're kind of ready for it yeah and for the reason why i do it and i actually do 36 hours not 48 but the reason why i do it is um from what I understand, and, and again, this is all just YouTube research, um, either I would slowly decrease the light over a period of, let's say, a week or so. Um, so go from 18 to 17 hours to 16 hours, you know, in order to get down to my 12-12. And that's the plant is now understanding, okay, the switch is occurring. I recognize the change. I need to now start to trigger you know, my, my survival instincts. And now because I don't do that gradual um, shift, you know, I want the plant to really understand, okay, it's go time now. I'm giving you 36 hours of darkness. Um, you need to go into survival mode now. So it's it's just kicking off that right, triggering, tr- sorry, triggering that right amount of stress or that right kind of stress i guess yeah i mean again great topic of conversation to get in depth with right just to kind of see if people have documented um proof that these types of things work so great topic i'd love to hear everybody's experience yeah me too i mean that's why it's going to be nice to get in and talk with other growers and and uh right so that's going to be fantastic we'll get to share each other's ideas and talk about what worked for us and ask each other questions uh and and share that with everybody so moving forward uh there'll be lots of intriguing things happening so um but yeah so you know 12 12 it's as easy as that set your uh set your timer to 12 hours of darkness uh and 12 hours of uh daylight again i suggest that you use that to your advantage uh if possible right have your lights on at nighttime when temperatures are generally cooler um have your lights off in the daytime if possible when temperatures are generally uh higher so um so just keep those types of things in mind i have heard of people using uh, 14 hours of darkness and 10 hours of light um matter of fact there was a time when i was growing with some uh, leds uh trying them out and uh i hung a 1000 watt hps in the center of the room which was on 1410 and the leds were on um you know 1212 just to kind of give it a little bit of a boost um you know well it's funny you say that um i saw a video just a couple weeks ago and the guy was saying um and he had a a science background and he was saying that he prefers 13 11 um 13 hours of darkness and 11 hours of uh of light so it's really interesting how there's some slight variances across the um yeah so the the spectrum the whole key of what we're talking about here is as long as the plant gets 15 hours of daylight or less it's going to go into flowering um, yeah. So how we get there specifically with uh, with different um, time frames, we'll get into more of that uh, in another episode. Um, but again, whatever you choose for flowering, you just have to be consistent. And again, you can get away with a minor tweak, um, you know, maybe one minor tweak if possible, but you want to minimize that because during flowering, that's your kind of most sensitive phase. That's when your flowers are starting to develop and the plant is no, it knows that the end is on the horizon and um it will take any chance it will get due to stress to to pollinate itself um to you know as a defense mechanism so you want to avoid that and be completely consistent uh with your cycle whatever it is that you choose um environment though does change a little bit uh we like to keep especially if you're getting really dense flowers and they're really starting to to put on weight uh you're going to want to keep your humidity a little bit lower um that's going to ensure that they can get rock hard and not have to worry about molding from the inside because they won't ever actually uh get wet 
due to the humidity in the air. So you're going to want to get that dialed into around 45 to 50% is what uh, I'm comfortable with and works very well for me and a lot of other people. Um, now, if you're, I'm the same. Yeah, and if you're using CO2 during flowering, you know, this is the point here where, you know, it's not like in vegetative growth where you're running about 20 to 24 degrees Celsius. Now you're going to want to get bumped up to about 24 to 28 degrees Celsius. If you're, if you're supplementing CO2, uh, you want to get those motors running. You want to think of CO2 as the energy that gets it there. Uh, and increasing CO2 is going to make the plants grow faster. Um, but they need more warmth and they're going to need more food and water as you move forward. Um, so you want to keep these things in mind. Uh, if you're a very uh, experienced grower, you know exactly uh, what I'm talking about. Um, that's about 75 degrees Fahrenheit to 83 degrees Fahrenheit, if I read this correctly. Um, so, and of course, 1200 ppm has been the sweet spot. Um, but I've heard of people going to 1500. So, you know, if, if you got it, flaunt it you know that's your thing um but the, those are the parameters that you're going to want to kind of stay in another thing too you want to be careful with co2 especially if you have like a grow room and not a tent because if something goes wrong and you increase the amount of co2 in the air you know that can cause problems with breathing um, when you go in there so you really want to just make sure you're paying attention to these things when you're installing your co2 um, regulators onto your tanks after you replace them you want to make sure you got a nice tight seal um, you want to be checking these things on a regular basis because uh, if you have uh, toxic levels of CO2 being emitted, that can cause a major problem and uh, you can end up suffocating, which is not a good thing. So just keep these things in mind. Um, and, you know, moving on, we're going to get it a lot of the time. It's going to be, you know, six weeks, you get that big explosion. The next couple of weeks, you're, you're spent pretty much adding supplemental sugars and, and weaning the plants off the nutrients and getting that flush in. Um, but you're looking at anywhere from eight weeks to 10 weeks to 12 weeks for um, some of them slow sativas. Um, making it through flowering, you know, is the most rewarding part. Uh, Pache, it's like uh, watching these things every single day for that period of time, you know. Oh, every day you think about getting to that point, you know, crossing the finish line, getting to the end, you know. And it started so long ago, you know, not just the, the life cycle of the plant, but setting up your environment planning about what strain you're going to get thinking about should i be should i try growing or not um you know so it's a long long time coming and it's an exciting it's an exciting time oh, it really is absolutely um you know it's a proud moment right watching your flowers um gain in weight and and get dense and um you know get sticky and so but it, you know it's not like a cannabis microwave oven where you just put the seeds in and hit the button and come back and i wish and, and come back in two months and they're done right there's things that you've got to do during uh vegetative growth uh and and flowering growth um you know on a regular basis you know one thing which you're very good at pache and and i hope our listeners are understanding you know how good this is is because you're checking the plants all the time so you can get ahead of any uh, of any issues so you know that's a that's perfect and that's something that has to be consistent if you're looking to hit a home run um you know you just got to keep checking your plants on a regular basis and if something is awry you can get uh you have enough time to take some action to get it cleared up a lot of the time um it can be too late when you notice a lot of problems and i feel 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 sorry uh, for, for those people at that time because a lot of the time the crop is a waste um but during flowering right um we're big into the scrogs we're big into the you know the sea of green or the screen of green keeping that canopy flat so all of the flowers at the same time get you know relatively the the same amount of light intensity um you know and you don't have large upper buds blocking off the lower buds um so when we're using a scrog net usually around day 21 so after about three weeks of you putting it 12 to 12 um, the stretch is done because a lot of the time a plant will grow three to five times larger than it actually is uh, in vegetative uh, growth uh, growth in a couple of weeks as it gets through the stretch in flowering so after three weeks the stretch is pretty much done and that's the time that you want to get down underneath the scrog net 
take those lower branches completely off. Um, you know, it's called lollipopping. Uh, there's lots of pictures online, so I suggest if it's something that you um, are going to get into that you take uh, a, a few pictures. Maybe, Pache, you could find something of a lollipop plant just so our, our, our viewers can see that. Um, what that's going to do is that's going to basically allow the plant to get rid of all... It's going to allow the plant to shed all of the the branches and all of the, the, the flowers that don't get any light. And they're never going to amount to anything anyway. And that's the thing. Um, so by removing them, just like this, if you look at this uh, this picture on the screen, by removing them, you're going to be able to increase airflow down there, and you're going to be able to keep the canopy um, in the most efficient area for light, and the plant will have all of its focus on growing the flowers at the top and not wasting it trying to, to grow flowers that aren't going to amount to anything. Uh, underneath so day 21 it's a lot of work right it's a lot of work but you really do got to get down there and you really do got to get rid of this stuff uh, and if you do it right uh, it's a beautiful thing uh, we try to do it again on day 40 because after day 40 you know the plant won't try to grow anything back anymore it's really respected the fact that its end of its life is is near uh and uh it's going to just continue to focus on the flowers at the top so if if you did a really good job on day 21 um then day 40 is pretty easy by comparison because it's just a lot of tiny little buds that um that that have grown that you can just pick off with your fingers um and a lot less um branches at that point as well that that need to be removed so um super imperative you know that even in vegetative growth that you kind of pay attention to this stuff you know those those fan leaves at the very bottom of a veg plant you know that aren't getting any light remove those let that airflow get underneath and get moving things around that's going to ensure that you know you don't have mold pop up uh powdery mildew which is which is a major thing can be major problems for lots of people in lots of scenarios and this will all help you uh, avoid that so these are very good things to uh to do and if you're not doing them you know you can get um aphid breakouts spider mite breakouts all kinds of problems and it's it's in the middle of the canopy so deep and in the middle of the plant so deep that you never see it uh until it's too late so more to come on some some finer things but uh you know we get through you know our eight weeks our 10 weeks our 12 weeks of flowering and then pache what's next Oh, it's harvest time. <laughs> harvest time. And how now how are you knowing? How now we did talk about it on other episodes, so if you're interested in that conversation you can go look those up. But just very quickly, okay Pache, what are you doing and how are you how are you picking the day that you're gonna go ahead and start harvesting those flowers? Okay, so I I do it a couple ways. So I know that my plants strain flowers 55 to 65 days let's say so i will go back and say all right i'll i'll sort of shoot for the middle and say 60 and then i will go back uh, about 10 days maybe two weeks and that's when i'll sort of start my flush so i know at the end of my flush i'll I should be ready to harvest, and I'll be very close to that window. I should be right in that sweet spot. So if I need to harvest a day earlier or a day or two later, um, that shouldn't be a problem in any way, shape, or form. Um, so that's one way. And now I also am looking at the trikes, the trichomes. So at this point, I will have watched the trikes move from the first stage, which is the clear stage, and they will move into a cloudy stage. So with and just, the big heads. Just, just in case, go ahead. I just wanted to interject there. Sorry, just in case um, anybody's not familiar with, um, you know, with the trichome and um, and what clear is. Clear is is not fully mature, right? I just want to point that out uh, to explain why um, why we don't harvest when they're clear because it's low potency and the effects will not last very long at all. And sorry to cut you off there, but I just wanted to make that point. Yeah, no, no, that, that's, uh, it's all good. Um, so yeah, if, if you want to have, you know, low potency and have it not last very long, then maybe that's what you're looking for. I don't, I don't think I've ever met anybody that's like that. No, but um, <laughs> here's the thing when, when they run into problems late in flower, some mm -hmm. people harvest early. 
right? So you, oh, your yeah. hand gets forced. So sometimes you right. you have to harvest early. You're the onset of root rot or something drastic gotcha. goes. Maybe you're you're moving or something, or you know maybe if it's you know not on the books or whatever, somebody's coming or whatever the case may be. Um, you know sometimes people's hands are forced, and it's not that they want to do it this way; they're forced to do it this way. Or if you're outside, <laughs> a storm could be coming, frost could be coming. Yeah, you know you could go out and see a, a bunch of mold starting to set in on week six. And, mm. and think if I leave it two more days, I'm going to lose it all, or I could grab it yeah. now and make a make a bunch of hash and see where that takes me, or whatever the case may be. It's not that we want to do it, but sometimes we have to. Uh, sure. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, and so then, after that stage, the clear stage, they'll the heads of the trichomes will begin to um, become opaque and cloudy. And so this is when the THC is at its most potent stage. Um, and so a lot of people will harvest at this point, and this And this is fine to harvest at this point. Um, now, I will be starting to look for... Uh, so in this picture here, you'll see there's almost no amber in this picture at all. Um, so this is all cloudy trichomes, uh, the plant is at its most potent right now, um, and so and this is a perfect time to harvest. Now, a lot of people will wait until the trichomes begin to degrade and start to turn from cloudy to amber. One thing, um, um, one thing I want to point out here: if you're a sativa mm-hmm. person, if you like the effects of a sativa or are growing sativa, you know this is this is what you're shooting for right here, um, because having all all cloudy uh, trichomes are going to give you the most psychoactive uplifting effect. Um, so just wanted to point that out. If you're growing sativa or sativa dominant strains by harvesting at this point, that is when you're going to unlock the highest psychoactivity of it. And in this picture here, you can just see there's just a few in here, right in the center that are just starting to get a little bit golden. Um, and so that this is when I'm thinking, okay, I'd like to start my flush soon. You know, I'm just starting to see it. everything is potent. Uh, it's right where I want. Let me start my flush right about now. And then in two weeks, the uh, degradation of the trichome should be at the point where it's going to be perfect for me. Because I like to shoot for like 5 to 10%. Uh, you were saying that other people like to shoot for twenty or thirty or even more, like fifty yeah, percent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it just depends on the strain, depends on the grower, depends on what they're looking for. Um, but uh, amber uh, trikes basically are a little bit of a more intense body high. They can make you a bit more couch Yeah, a little bit tired. Uh, if you're growing indica. Okay, if you're an mm-hmm. indica guy and you love the effects of indica, you're waiting until you get about 10, 20, 20 30% amber trichromes. That's your goal as an indica or growing an indica dominant strain. This is what you're shooting for. This is the finish line. This is what's going to give you the the most effects that you're looking for. So I just wanted to point that out, right? There is kind of a bit of a recipe here um, for, for, for most uh, most strains. So um, just keep these things in mind. Um, actually, some people wait until 60% of their trikes are amber, which is uh, wow. you know, a, a little bit. But some, some funny things about the trikes. There's actually three different kinds, believe it or not. And we're going to get into that in another episode uh love to share some information with regards to that because uh, a lot of people just by looking at these photographs look and see one uh but uh it was only recently that we learned that these these trichomes themselves actually create the cannabinoids and the terpenes which is also something interesting because scientists have only recently observed it which uh is something that we're going to talk about on another episode in the future as well. Um, I wonder if we'll ever get to the point where we're able to grow trichomes without the plant. Well, you know, then, you know, that's like, (laughs) that's like taking all the fun out of it to me. I don't even want to live in a world that grows trikes without a plant, to be honest with you. I want to live in a world that tries it. No, that's like, takes all the enjoyment out of it for me, but. (laughs) I can still grow plants and enjoy it. Well, we'll see about that. But I also one. want to break frontiers. How about this? When when they do it, we'll we'll have this conversation. 
It'll be an episode. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to make a few more points here, too, because the trikes will continue to slowly break down um, after you harvest, right? So you kind of want to keep that. You don't want to let them go too far because for the next 10 days as they're drying, those trichromes are still kind of living and they're going to continue to degrade a little bit. So you might be pulling the plug at 20%, but in fact, by the time you um, get a month of curing in, after it's been dried, you know, you're, you're looking at a different number altogether. So just a few things I wanted to point out. And if you let your plants get too dry, like you can rehydrate the flower, um, but you can't replace the, the, the terps and, and the cannabinoids that you're losing if, um, you know, if it gets too dry. So really want to stress that. Um, that's why drying and curing is literally its own phase altogether because, um, you're, it's not over yet. And a lot of people get to the point where it's like, oh, the flowers are done. Oh, I've harvested, you know, I'm done. But, the, you know, some of the work is just beginning in, in, in that uh, regard. Uh, in order to unlock the, fl- the flavonoids and to really get a smooth um, flavor to the buds and to get it, a bag appeal to it, you've got to give it time. You've got to uh, dry it correctly. Uh, you've got to uh, cure it correctly, uh, and there's a couple of things that you really need to do um, that are that are quite imperative, right? Um, w- myself personally, uh, when I'm when I'm drying, and, and I, I do exactly what Pache is uh, showing here on the screen. Only sometimes, myself personally, I don't have as many stems. I'll kind of cut each branch off each stem, but either way, it looks the same at the end. And I'll wait until, you know, the the stems bend quite easily, but they still don't snap. And once they get to that point, that's when I'll start to put them in a paper bag, um, wrap that up for a couple hours. And what you're doing there is you're, you're sweating the cannabis. And what sweating is, is sweating the outside surface of the, of the flower may feel a little bit dry, but when you put it in the bag, uh, the moisture redistributes from the, from the stem, uh, through the rest of the flower again, and it kind of evens out the dryness and then you can rehang them. Um, so you're, pulling the core moisture out of the stems Um, and taking the time to do this um, properly really can increase the smoothness um, and it can allow you to maintain a lot more of the essential oils from the stems um, because they're getting um, pulled into the flower and and redistributed so it can really um, it it really is a key here and if you want to have quad a bag appeal um, you know, very, very smooth, good smoke, then this is what you're doing. This is part of having a home run. Uh, we're going to do an episode, I think, sometime in the future on all the things that you need to do to have a home run because I find myself saying that one uh, quite often. So we'll put that uh, t- together. What were you going to say there, Pache? So also, if you look on this photo here of my dry tent, I've got uh, a small six-inch fan. Uh, see how I've got... Them, I've got hangers hanging from support bars, and then I've got zip ties, and then at the bottom of the zip ties, then they're even hanging down even further. So the actual flowers are right around the center of my tent, and I've got air circulating above them, and I've got another six-inch fan circulating below them. It's actually the six-inch fans are pointing... The one up top is pointing towards the ceiling, and the one down bottom is pointing towards the floor. So you know that they're not they're, the fans are not directly onto the um, onto the buds, right? Just drying them out too just fast. Just moving around the air, just to keep it. Keep that's it, right, yeah, exactly. And 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 that's the, you know that's an important um, piece of this as well, right? Uh, important to note. Um, so I can see there that you're using just kind of clothes hangers, right? And, you know that's perfect close hangers and zip ties you can get uh drying um racks pretty cheap on amazon i see a lot of people you know go back into their tent and they hang a drying rack from the from their tent and if you want to tie your tent up uh and you know getting the maximum amount of quantity uh, over time is not necessarily your goal then by all means you know you you can do that myself personally uh i just dry in a room 
uh, same kind of setup because I'm getting that tent ready again for the next grow and I want to maximize that time frame as much as possible. Um, but you know, for the most part, I can see you used a microscope there. So you're pretty much going to need that. You're going to need, um, trimming, you know, trimming shears. And I guess that brings another question up, right? Um, wet or dry when you, when, when you trimmed, uh, Pache, what did you do wet or dry? Uh, so I did dry. Um, I wanted to keep the fan leaves on during the, um, initial, 12 day dry um, just to slow the process down um, and I, I find it also easier to trim up when because by the time I pull them out of the tent the dry tent after 12 days the fan leaves have sort of dried and are easier to sort of get access to and they've curled up a little bit and a lot of times I can just use my finger and with a little bit of um, pressure they'll just snap off um, so yeah, I, I like to do a a dry trim. Nice, yeah. Um, myself personally, I'm a wet trimmer. Um, always have been. I have tried to dry trim a few times, and after wet trimming my whole life, it's uh, just I can't do it. Um, I know there's pros and cons to both, and people say don't do it, and it's better, and it, I'm sure it is from the things that uh, you know I've read. But um, you know the slow process can be a lot better. Um, myself personally, I can still end up with a smooth product after after a thirty day or a three week cure. Um, but for drying, yeah, I just uh, just don't. Um, I always always wet trim. It's just find it easier. You can trim way more, and uh, you know that's kind of the way the the way I like to do it. Um, but yeah, once you choose a way and, and you kind of get that done, you know, the trimmings, another thing, right? You can save a lot of this. Do stuff. you save your trimmings? Oh yeah. I save, I always save my trimmings and that do you make hash. Yeah. And that's going to be next week's episode, right? we're going to get into hash. We're going to get into oil. We're going to get into shatter. We're going to get into, um, rosin, Ooh. right? Let's get into talking about what we're going to do now. We've, we've got the flowers hanging. The flowers are drying. And next week we're going to talk about what we do with all of this waste. We're going to talk a little bit about making other products. We're going to talk a little bit about decarboxylation, uh, big word there if you haven't heard it before um yeah th these will all be making the pot go yeah and and this is <laughs> this is going to be you know next week is is going to be our sixth episode uh and after our sixth wow. episode this will be the mini series complete on the basic information um you know that ties everything up and then we're going to kind of you know uh, grow a little bit and open up the doors and 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 start going in a few different directions as we move forward but lots of deep dives coming which is going to be exciting um but we've got those uh th those flowers drying now you know and the next important thing uh and again you know if you're going to have home runs <laughs> these are the types of things that you need to do consistently you know once that tent is freed up you got to get in there that once that grow room is cleaned up or is is emptied you got to get in there uh you got to get things clean you've got to um you know wipe things down with a, a bleach and water solution or vinegar and water or some sort of um you know um safe to use uh disinfectant uh keep it simple you know when you when you're coming up with something to uh, clean your room with it doesn't you don't have to overcomplicate it um but starting with a clean sterile environment is the first step to a home run grow so absolutely uh just want to point that out and it's a perfect opportunity take the time to do it yeah and it's a perfect opportunity to recalibrate recalibrate your equipment um, you know, try to get a different uh, temperature sensor and line that up and make sure you're still kind of getting consistent readings across multiple devices. Um, do that with your humidity, your PPM if, if, if you can, and uh, definitely with your pH meter. Your pH meter every couple of weeks, you should be going through the calibration process. Pache, uh, you've got one there. It's quite easy to do. Yeah, I've got a, a blue lab pH pen and it uh, there's a check mark when the calibration runs out after 30 days the check mark disappears and it's time to uh, do it again and now I you know I just bring up on my phone uh, a YouTube you know Blue Lab has a YouTube video on calibrating your pen um, but it's really super simple and uh, basically you just need to have calibration solution which will come with the pen or you can order uh, additional solution online on Amazon 
And uh, so you basically you start out by putting the pen in a solution of 7.0 uh, pH balance, and you calibrate the pen. And then you put it into uh, usually a 4 uh, or a 10, but I believe usually a 4. And uh, you calibrate it again, and then bang, you're done. Yeah. You're calibrated, you rinse it off. Um, then you also have like storage solution that you have to make sure that um, your probes don't dry out. Uh, that's going to throw off the um, accuracy of your tool. And um, yeah, so that's that's how easy, you know, you can calibrate your pen uh in probably less than a minute. Yeah, and it's super important, right? Because your pH meter is the gatekeeper to the to the way your plants, um, you know, get fed, and that's something that you're going to want to pay attention to, whether you're growing in a soilless mixture or whether you're growing in hydroponics. And um, those, you know, those cheap devices that you can get on Amazon, I, I, I've used them myself. Um, absolutely terrible. I had nothing but problems. I ended up getting an Aferia uh, SX something. Um, I'm sure if you looked up Etheria SX on uh, Amazon, you'd see it's about $88. It's been fantastic for me. I've been raving about it for the last six months. Um, great device. Uh, it only drifted 0.2 over the course of uh, a month, which I thought was fantastic and uh, very easy to calibrate. Um, so, you know, this is your opportunity at this point where your grow is not depending on this equipment to make sure that you've got it calibrated and working correctly. Uh, and um, then moving forward, you're going to get the most accurate data for your next grow. And, Pache, my friend, that about sums up tonight's episode. All right. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. So good job to you as well. Uh, I'm excited for next week where we get into uh, extracts and um, equipment like bubble bags and isopropyl alcohol. And uh, we'll get in and, and talk uh, about maximizing your uh, yield and maximizing uh, what you've gotten from your crop. So you minimize um, the most amount of waste. We'll even talk about something we can do with the fan leaves as well. So uh, more to come next week. Once again, my my name is Ray. And I'm Pache. And you can visit us at planttherapy.live for links to all of our shows. And we'll see you next week at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you and have a good night.